This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Melk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. All right, Kev, another podcast, another show, and you're going to lead off with replay that happened at your house with Provia product, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. I did. Uh, I, so I did. I, I talked about it a couple of shows ago. I mean, it was a couple of months ago. We were talking about it. And finally, my Mason, who's been on the show, Mike McCulligan, finally got around to doing it. And it was the. He's, he's fantastic, actually. Yeah. Was, yeah. Owner that does the work, boy, it makes a big, big difference because, you know, he takes pride in his work. He's not just salesman and subs and just throwing it out there. Right. And I wanted to make sure that when I redid the house and what i did was we talked about on the show a couple months ago is i thought about an idea of redoing my first floor down the shore and by doing this i really wanted to just change the look of it you know give it an updated feel because the chimney area the fireplace that was there was it's an old gas insert and it, it was horrible i could even get the place warm in the the lower part of the area because of the cold air that was blowing in mm-hmm. so we were never going down there the the electric bill and the gas bill were just astronomical because of that and cold air and utility bills have been up they without without any problems right they well. have and i decided to this point let, let's pull the trigger let's update it let's modernize it because the house was built in i believe it was 2002 but when i did everything i did the siding the windows the doors i did the flooring on the inside i did the kitchen bathrooms everything's done i just never updated certain trim and the colors were painted 10 years ago, 11 years ago when I had the property. So we wanted to give it a fresh update. So I said to my wife, why don't we do this? Take that whole fireplace, which is just a cheap mantle. Let's put a new, improved, fuel-efficient gas insert in. And then we modernize it by putting stone down. So we went from the floor all the way up to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. It's about nine feet high. And what I wanted to do is I didn't want it to look like a, a rustic farmhouse. I didn't want it to look like... Uh, just something that looks like it was it's a shore house right it's a shore house yeah so but i wanted something modern so i went on the provia website which made for my wife to look at anything on the website she can't visually see it the provia website made it very easy for her to see that stuff. makes it easy for everybody it's a (laughs) well done website it was great because she wanted to be involved she just wanted to be involved in picking something so with me being in the business I, i mean i got samples anyway but she could see it on the website so once she saw it on the website, she's like, this is the color. Because usually what I have to do is I have to bring out three or four colors, whether I'm doing siding or veneer stone or what we're going to do, to the homeowner. Well, now I can minimize it by just saying, I really like this because the website made it easy. And it made it easy for me. It does, yeah. Anybody who has trouble visualizing, if you're going to do home improvement, 
you got to go to the Provia website. Yeah, Provia.com yeah. backslash YVH. You yeah. go to that, it makes your life a lot easier when you need to pick products out. And if you're working with a contractor, what it does is also minimizes his time because now you're not just going, well, I like to see this color, I like to see that color. It minimizes the time because you can see what you want just by looking at it. Right. You could never do that before, but they've got it perfected where it makes it easier. And it made it easier for my wife to do it. So I brought her the stone. She's absolutely love it. Let's do it. And I know it took a little bit of time for Mike to get to the job, but you know we're renting proper down there anyway. So we know no, he's, he's down busy. There he's busy. So what yeah. I decided to do is I did all the prep work to make it easy. I put all new trim on. I ripped off the studs. I re-insulated the way it should be. And then I put the concrete board up, glued and screwed very nicely and patiently waited for him to get there. And I'm like, oh, is this, as me being a contractor, I know what it's like going through it, but I never really knew until I was waiting for a job to be done because I, I physically don't do the stone work. Well, he went down a couple of weeks ago, put the stone up and the pictures he was sending me, it looks gorgeous. Well, I just went down. I wanted to clean up everything, make everything ready for the up and coming season. And as soon as I walked in, it's on believable the workmanship the way the stone looks it looks you gotta so put authentic. these uh, shots on your uh, feed, on the social media it. feed they will yeah. be on there so you can see it uh we're gonna go down actually in a, a couple weeks from now and uh, we're gonna put the i'm gonna hang a tv over because that's where we can put a tv so i'm actually gonna hang a tv that i braced behind the stonework so i can mount the tv i actually raised the insert it's not a typical insert typical insert usually it's sitting on the floor i raised it up about eight to ten inches so it looks a little more modern and it goes with the, the stonework that we picked. We did the precision fit, which is a tighter stone, stacked square stone with the colors alpine. And it looks magnificent. What was it? Was it was it a regular wood-burning fireplace before you put the... No, just a cheap gas insert cheap, from the builder. But you, you replaced that? I replaced okay, that. Gotcha. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I had a All professional right. come in to redo everything. Because everything was there. We just had the gas line was there. It was just pulling in and pulling out with a much more efficient unit. Mm -hmm. And by doing it that way, I got to re-insulate everything. It, it is solid right now. And I, when I went down there just to look at the workmanship, the room was actually cooler or warmer in that area because the cold air wasn't coming in from the old unit. So with everything that we did, it just stabilized it. Now, of course, I turned the unit on because it was wintertime. As I was cleaning up, the room got up to like 95 degrees. It's beautiful because I love heat. I hate being cold. Yeah, I can't stand being cold either. Yeah. So I, that was one of the reasons why to do it because now the fuel bill is because it's insulated. Because if we're not down there, it, the unit's shut off. We don't even use that. But it's just something to make it look a little bit better aesthetics get a little more value out of the house because when you walk in the view that i have of the bay it looks even better because if you're staying at the kitchen you got a full view of the fireplace and the bay oh i tell you it's it's unbelievable the view that you get plus the look of the stone yeah there's, i mean there's something there's something really cool about the feeling you get when you do a home improvement and it comes out right whether you're a contractor or you're not a contractor it just makes you feel it, it lifts up your spirit right it does mm -hmm. yeah and I'm done. I don't need to do anything else because it, it's modern. It looks great. And it needed it. I, it. My house was starting to get dated on the inside because it looked like inexpensive trim that was up. Everything was painted. There was just drywall everywhere. I wanted to do something that would make a wow factor. Yeah. Oh, my God. It looks great. Okay. So for anybody that's looking for stonework, I tell you, when you look at the Provia product, you'll understand why I use it. I tell you, I was listening to one of these shows, uh, talk shows, and I was like, hey, I use this window company. I did that, and they did windows in my house. And I always think to myself, do they know what they got? Well, I know what I'm getting when I'm getting the Provia product because I'm the installer. And I'm telling you, when you see the product itself, not just saying it, I've been using Provia for over 10 years when the company we dealt with when I was in broadcasting introduced me that product. So for 10 years, I couldn't be more happy with using the Provia product. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm going to continue with it because it's worth the look 
the style and what the value you're getting with that Provia product. That's why I used it on my house. Touche. I agree 100%. Okay, Kev, what is today's horror story? The plethora of horror stories that keep coming keep in. digging these things up. Well, you know, this was one where it actually hit home for me just a little bit, but I was recently at my vet, and right behind the vet was the first job in the development that I ever did as my company. The VSP Cup is the first job I've ever signed. So we were, I was just recently there, and when I got out, I noticed the homeowners were up at the front lawn. So I drove down, and it, maybe about three or four houses down, and I said to the lady, I said, listen, I don't mean to be creepy. Uh, my name's Kevin Kennedy. Uh, this is the company I own. Uh, do you mind if I just take a picture of the upper corner of that house? She's like, well, well why? Were you the contractor that's got to fix the job? I'm like, oh, no, I, I did notice you got siding and windows. But no, no, the, the reason why I'm about to explain this to you is that that roof and that side where the addition was built back in the 60s, in 1989, I did that roof. So when I told really? the story. Seriously? Yeah, how about that? How yeah. it was, I was working, I said I was working next door for a company back in uh, 1989, and it was the summer, and I got fired from that job because I was yelling at the foreman at the time because I was number two in command. He was called, it was skip nailing. Now, when you do a roof back then, it was a standard weight roof and you would do three nails and then go four nails. So one of the shingled tabs never received a nail. And well, it says not to do that in the application. Why are you doing it that way? So he was getting upset with so me. So wouldn't that really reduce the life of the roof? Uh, well, it has a more or if you had a windstorm or yeah, something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So I was never into that. And I said, you got to do this. Well, apparently the homeowner heard the boss showed up and fired me because I was saying this. Well, I said, I don't, I don't really care. I, I'm going to go get another job. But it was uh, the gentleman next door said, hey, listen, I heard what you did. And uh, why don't you give you a price on my roof? And that was the start of my company. So when I told her about that, I said, well, listen, we're just a little bit. Oh, of, he heard about the situation. And, he, standing yeah. right there. Oh, okay. So he gave me an opportunity in August of 1989 when I started my company. I actually did his roof. And every year when I started my company, I mean, it took me four or five years to get going from 1989, and then I expanded. Then mm -hmm. I got expanded, and it, it was great. And every year I stopped by with a bottle of champagne right at Christmas just to say, hey, Bill, look what I did now. This is what's going on. And, and, and I just kept getting bigger and bigger and expanding. And I, I remember I told her the story that I said in 2006, summer of 2006, I showed him Fine Home Building Magazine, September 2006. Mm -hmm. My company was on the cover mm -hmm. and that was dave on the cover because they said my head was getting too big mm -hmm. so i showed him look i know other contractor that i know has been on a cover of a national magazine as a contractor so i remember the next year it was another magazine it was fine home building the best of edition summer 2007 mm -hmm. they put me on the cover so when i was on the cover i went back to him and he had passed at that time so i never got to show him that but it was pretty cool that i could go back to this gentleman saying hey listen uh, look what i did in this industry so I was talking to this lady and I told her everything we did and she's like, yeah, but I got a problem here. And uh, the problem is I just had my siding and windows and some stonework down at the bottom. And I said, yeah, I, I see that. So I noticed there was a couple issues just being a contractor. So I said, uh, yeah, was, what's the problem? She's like, they're not coming back. They did it. The, the siding fell off. The stonework is falling off. The window leaks every time it rains. And I said, well, how long has it been? She's like, about six months. They're just not coming back. So I said, why don't you give me the contract? So, I got out of the truck and I was standing right in the front lawn with her. And I told her, you know, I said, um, I used to do a show called Your Valuable Home. And I started telling her about the whole thing. She said, you got to be kidding me. You did all this. So I started showing all the pictures of the magazines, the, the show that we right, do, right. Mm -hmm. uh, the Wall Street Journal, the uh, Fine Home Building Magazine, mm -hmm. the This Old House Magazine. And she's like, I'd never met anybody that did this. I said, this is me. I was in my work clothes. And I said, I, I'm still doing the work. Mm -hmm. 
She said, oh, I wish I gave you a call. But I said, well, let's talk about it. Let me see if I can help you out. Now, she's going to be coming on the show. I told her I'm going to prep by talking about it because this was the first mm-hmm. house that I ever worked on. Now, it looks, it looks horrible. And I'm just trying to understand why people sign with companies. And she paid a lot of money. And she said, well, this guy's been around for a long time. I said, well, listen, I've been around for 33 years. I never heard of the name. Let's look at the PA license number. And anything over 100000 there are newer companies within five years. You can just go online. It'll tell you when they started the company. Well, it was well over 100000 I said, no, it's a newer company. He lied to you. Uh, he should be coming back. The window installation. I'm, I've never even seen anything like this. And I'm going to post this picture on social media so you as a contractor or homeowners can look at it and say how bad of a job he did and circle it and send it back to me on a on a picture of the workmanship that they did. They have a bay window, Ron, that's sticking out, and it's a flat top. Like when you do a bay window, you frame a roof right. around it so mm-hmm. the water would shed off correctly. Oh, it has flat roof on it? It's actually going, it's flat, but it's leaning back into the house. So it's going to, so, well, they got a waterfall effect in there. Then. It's, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and I said, well, beside it leaking, I said, all that water is getting inside the house. It's getting into the drywall, the insulation. You, you're going to have some more problems here than necessary because he's not calling you back yeah that's a bad news situation waiting to happen so i told her contact me she's going to be emailed i said kevin at your she is going to write all the problems she has and i said to her what you should questions you should ask because now it's not just a problem it's a problem that's creating more damage inside the house and if he's not coming to fix this we've got to approach it in different avenues to make him come back to do this but i'm trying to find out like why is this guy in business Ron, it, it's a disgrace. I mean, I was so pissed at myself for um, not calling the guy right there and say, hey, listen, you got to fix this. This homeowner's getting taken. You got to do a better job. So my problem is these contractors, they think they're good. I'm here to tell you, you're not good. If you're doing this kind of workmanship, ripping off homeowners, and here's the other thing I said to her, who is the people that actually did the work, physically did the work? He said, well, um, we had a little problem because we couldn't speak with them. They didn't understand English, and they were just not doing what we were supposed to do. Even my husband was saying, this wind is going to be a problem. Never fixed it. They just came in, did that, and he, the guy was forceful because he wanted his money. And when we started complaining, he started getting more money. We, we paid him because that was the only way we were going to get him back. I said, you didn't find it a problem at this point that what you did here by paying all this money in advance and seeing the workmanship was not getting corrected, they just kept working there was going to be a problem. But as we talked about on the show before, people think you can throw some more money at him thinking he's going to come back and he never came back. So my problem is, is that these contractors, and that's probably my visuals that I see him physically, only 99% should be in business. I know I, listen, people say I exaggerate, but this is, this industry is a joke anymore. You know, well, as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself here, right? In professions that are regulated, that where certification is required or a lot of education is required and you have to pass certain things, i.e. doctors. Doctor. Stuff still happens, okay? So if you, if you take that and then you consider the fact that in contracting, but for a couple different uh, professions, I think electric is one, okay? Maybe plumbing might be another. Plumbing, yeah. There is no regulation. Nope. So you can imagine how much bad stuff happens in contracting that we keep talking about. We've done well in in uh, coming up on uh, nine. Yep. Well, finishing nine, nine. years, um, almost five hundred horror stories at this point because we never fail to tell a horror story. It, it, when does it stop? It's not hard to figure out why. But these yeah. horror stories. When I tell people about the show, I say the horror stories are no twenty five dollars fixes. These are 
50, 100, 200,000. We had a 400,000 last year when the addition was put on. They put an indoor swimming pool in because they ripped the roof off, never tarped it, and it flooded the entire house. So the basement was a, it was three feet of water. How does that happen? So my question is because because there's nobody there's nobody regulating it. Everybody needs some sort of supervision, some sort of verification that what they do and what they've learned to get to this point is valid. Okay, and there is this this particular industry doesn't have a lot of there's that nothing stuff. there. Yeah, yeah, and everybody if, when people always say to me, you know, do people yell? At you? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm probably one of the most hated contractors in America now because I'm explaining to homeowners how to get an estimate, how to do it right. And I tell contractors, you're doing it wrong. If the people you're working on are complaining and you're not coming back, you do poor workmanship because you're just hiring some sub-company to do the work, you shouldn't be in business. You shouldn't be doing this. And the the sub-company's not regulated either. No, they're just doing the job. Everybody's all freelancing, doing whatever they do. And once they leave, you get an out-of-sight warranty, which means that contractor drives out of sight, there's your warranty. He's gone. He's gone, yeah. And there was just a bunch that just came in, but it's just the one I've seen recently. And I I did talk to her, and I I said, look, I'd like to get you on to talk about a little more because I want to know the detail of how bad it is. So she said, I mean, just throw it out. Is is this good product? So she gave me the contract. I'm like, it doesn't even say what the product is. I know the company because I see the... The window, it's still mm-hmm. stickers on there. But mm-hmm. I said, these are, this is cheap. You got the cheapest stuff you can buy. She didn't even know that. And I said, but didn't you want to ask? Maybe you wanted to look at the product. Did you go somewhere to look at it and see it physically? No. no. Nobody wanted to do that. And nobody does that. And that's why you're getting caught in these horror stories. Because people think they get a great deal. And this guy charged a fortune for it. <laughs> it was really expensive. And I said, for the price he did, he should be finishing the job. But I said, I've got ways around that where I can guide you in the right direction. So it can force him. Call the attorney general in the state of Pennsylvania. Have him put a case on. Call the local authorities because he has your money and the job's not finished. Mm-hmm. So right there, call the police. You've got to do some things to put some pressure on him to make him be held accountable. Nobody's accountable anymore. Ah, yeah, I messed up the job. I'm going to go to another one until I, I learned enough times where I did it. I'm going to have to go out of business because I screwed so many people over. And now that I did that, oh, well, well what about the people you, you're taking their money and they still have to get it fixed. There's no accountability in this. Well, business. there's a root problem here. The root problem, I think, we just put our finger on it, is that there's no there's no regulation, there's no oversight, there's no nothing. The, the, For the most part. Yep, yeah, that's the way I look at it. Contract. I, I love when people say I'm a contractor. I'm thinking to myself, No, you're not. Stop. It's like me saying I'm the best basketball player in the world. I haven't even ever picked up a basketball in 15 years. I didn't even shoot hoops, but I did sleep at a Holiday Inn <laughs> Express. So as long right. as you do that, you know, that's what I'd say. Just make sure you ask the right questions because I don't want you coming on the show. I really don't want you coming on the show talking about these problems because now these people have to go through this aggravation oh, again yeah, and spend yeah. more money. So yeah. if you have any questions, contact us here. Kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. Let me at least guide you in the right direction so this can be minimized or not have happen to you okay and listen stick with us because today we have matthew white who is a realtor who specializes in multifamily rental properties we're going to be talking about all sorts of subjects that relate to residential real estate investors and how to get you through this really tough market right now all right we'll be back after we take a quick break hey kev we've talked many times about the importance of curb appeal and the value quality products add to exterior home improvements provia fiberglass entry doors and vinyl replacement windows add that value and for 
for huge impact, curb appeal, and value, there's Provia vinyl siding and manufactured stone, right? Yep, the super polymer formulation of Provia siding reflects heat and protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup for lasting color and value. Provia siding comes in traditional, insulated, and decorative profiles, all with the look and texture of wood. People often stop me and ask about my Provia Cedar Max siding. I've actually gotten siding jobs that way. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Well, how about colors and styles? My customers love the palette of popular colors, including dark and bold hues, and a variety of styles from clapboard to Dutch lap, board and batten, and chic like mine. And you can see it all and how the colors and styles work with Provia entry doors and vinyl replacement windows at Provia's fabulous website, Provia.com backslash YVH. Also, check out Provia's Manufactured Stone, another wow product for the eye-popping exterior and interior accents. I just used it on my fireplace. Amazing how real Provia Manufactured Stone looks. That's because individual stones in Provia Stone Veneer are made in molds created by professional stonemasons. They use actual stones to form the molds. That's how Provia gets its rugged texture, shadow lines, and coloring of real quarried stone. The assortment of shapes and sizes and 10 stone color palettes even take geographic variations into account. Once again, Provia delivers on its mission, which is to serve by caring for details in ways that others won't. Visualize the possibilities of Provia.com backslash YVH. Okay, Ron, as we get into our featured segment, I know we wanted to talk about some of the things that uh, are current and event, but we haven't done this in a while. What do we got? We haven't really gotten into the weeds on residential investment properties in a while. And that's what we're going to do today because residential investors have probably had to navigate this crazy seller's market that we've had going on for the last two or three years now, and we can't seem to be able to shake it. Are investment properties just as tough to buy today as primary residences? Well, we're going to get into that. Here to help us with this question is Matt White, a realtor with Berkshire Hathaway Fox Roach here in Bucks County. Matt, one of your specialties is multifamily investment properties, isn't it? Yes. Is the market in Bucks County and other areas where you do business as tight for residential investment properties as it is for primary residences? It is. Bucks County and the surrounding counties, the Philadelphia, are all in high demand for investment properties. You stop and think about it. If you're going in to buy a certain investment type property, I lean towards condos. Today, if you're looking for an investment, you're competing with people who are looking for a home, right? 100%, especially if you get into condos and single family homes. And depending on the condition of those homes, you could be also competing with home flippers, yep. people looking to buy them to rent them, and people looking to buy and live in them. Are the flippers still out there? Kind of tough today to flip a house and make any money, isn't it? It is. Home flippers. I sold a house in the fall right here in Lower Makefield and uh, sold for $425,000. It hadn't been touched since the 1950s. Wow. And a home flipper bought it, absolutely gutted the house out, put an addition on it. It was a one full bath, one half bath house. He put three full bathrooms upstairs um, and he really blew the house out. And he's going to be listing that for 850000 which is crazy. But he's going to end up getting it because it's still cheaper than new construction. Hmm. How about that? But he's had to put a couple hundred grand into it, right? Yeah, With all the work he just Oh, he's in it pretty deep. Is there any segment of the investment property market that's more buyer-friendly today? Condos, for example, which is a favorite of mine, or single-family homes? How about multifamily homes? Uh, that, that's your specialty, too, multifamilies, right? Yes. Any easier than any of the others? I wouldn't say any of them are easy. I mean, the night, if they're moving ready, decent locations, well-priced, it, it's a feeding frenzy. The houses, I would say you have 
the best chance are, are the ones that actually need work and might be overpriced. So you let them kind of sit on the market. If they're out there for maybe 30 days, you can get in on them, maybe get a decent price and then fix them up. And that's your greatest chance for ROI. Uh, on the investment side, it's, it's, it's really challenging because if the homes are in nice condition, great locations, and they're priced well, and there's, there's margin in there to make money, you're going to get a lot of, lot of attention. A lot of people looking at it, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Brian, I had at least five people in the past six months that were just driving by my house, saw me out there. And I have an in-law suite we put on, a nice size in-law suite with it. The location's phenomenal. The view's phenomenal. They're asking to buy cash. And even more than... Hey, I don't know I, where I, all this cash came from. Cash. Where did it come in. from? Where did it come from? So I said, well, I, I don't know if I can kick my in-laws out just yet, but uh, if they give me any problems, please, I might take you up an offer to get this thing sold. But uh, yeah, they've been, it, it doesn't stop. If they see me out there, hey, I saw your house. I know you put the addition on for the in-laws. Uh, you looking to sell? I'm ready to buy right now. No, I'm not ready yet. But yeah. Well, we know that's a popular concept uh, from a show that we did probably about a year ago now. Yeah, right? multi-generational multi, multi living mm -hmm. in the same unit. So could be people asking about that. You yeah, because we did a, an article with the Wall Street Journal, This Old House magazine. That was one of the things that we were talking about with, with both of those those articles that were done on us. Right, uh, right, exactly. Multi, it, it's huge. And we're still doing a lot of the homes. We're talking, I, I've got two on this year that I'm going to be doing, multifamily homes, because they didn't want to move. Mm -hmm. But I said, by doing this, and Matt, would you agree with me, by doing this and spending a good value, it will bring a, a, a more demand for that house because it's got the two separate locations in one location that we have an in-law suite and their house. Yeah, because it seems to be a trend, people doing that. Matt, do you see the same over-asking frenzied bidding among residential investors as you do among people who will reside in a home? I would say sort of. It depends on the property. I got into bidding wars, The probably one of the most coveted multifamily buildings out there are garden-style apartments. Any of these buildings that have five, six, eight, 10 units in them are in high demand. And I had a case last year where we were bidding on an eight unit garden style building in Soderton, Pennsylvania. It was up for a million dollars. We bid list price at a million and somebody came in cash, bid over a million dollars for it. And if you look at the numbers, they're pretty tight profitability at that, at that rate. But People just have to have the building. You know, they love those buildings that much where there will be um, a bit of a bidding frenzy on them. But any case where a multifamily, a duplex, triplex, a quadplex uh, comes up that's in nice condition, it has all the things you're looking for, separate utilities, you know, maybe month-to-month -month leases because new new people coming in, that way they can control the tenants. There's a lot of upsides that if, if everything is there and it's in a good location, uh, you could still see some some bidding wars on those types of properties. Yeah, I just popped a question into my head here, and I know a lot of this has been happening in, in uh, towns like Atlanta. In a case where you have a multifamily dwelling like that, is it possible that some of that competition could be coming from REITs buying up properties or even, um, I think Goldman Sachs owns a lot of property in, in Atlanta that they bought, they bought up. Is that possible? It is possible. Um, I think if you get into the, the rule of state investment trusts, they tend to go towards investment grade properties. They like the big apartment complexes. Right. Companies like BlackRock, they've been coming in and grabbing up all like 
starter homes. Those lower priced homes, you know, say in Levittown or Bristol, those types of areas or Morrisville, you could be competing against an investment group buying up those houses and just turning so. them into rentals. Yeah, I would think so. BlackRock is in the real estate business? Yes. The building you talked about, I think it was in Soderton, right? Uh, yes. Somebody came in with a million cash and beat you to it. Was that a syndicate of some sort? That I think that was an individual wow. and he bid over a million. Over a million dollars. For an eight unit. You're going to get it. You probably not going to get into that if you're going in for like a single condo or something like that. It's not going to, somebody's not going to come in with that kind of cash, right? Again, if you're talking a high-end luxury condo, center city Philadelphia with great views, it can pull a lot of money. If you're talking, you know, a 1,200 square foot condo, reasonably priced, you, you may, you're not going to see, you know, crazy bidding because I think there's just a lot more condos available. Well, I didn't, I didn't get any crazy bidding when I bought mine, and that wasn't that long ago either. Well, you bought at the right time. That's bought why. at the right time. When yeah. everyone says, when did you buy, what year, I just tell yeah. them it was the right time. At the right time, yeah, okay. Investors have their ROI to consider. Doesn't that alone tamper down the excessive bidding? It does. I mean, if they're smart. <laughs> yeah. One thing, when I work with my investors, we pull the rents expenses. We look at the numbers. We look at, is the rents at market or... Is there room that we can grow the rents? And we just really work out, is this profitable or not? I've been in a lot of cases bidding on multifamilies where we're looking at the numbers. We're seeing how much money you can make, but somebody will come in and bid over us. And we shake our heads. We just don't know how they're going to make any money um, on the property unless their projections of what they think they can get for rent are higher than ours. But we look at the market. We look at what are people asking for a two-bedroom, one-bath a multifamily style apartment and apply it. And, uh, but some people, if they got to have a building or they got to put their money somewhere, maybe they don't mind working on a lower profit margin. Um, They'd have to be right. Working on a lower profit margin. No. Yeah. I I mean, they could, they could own, maybe they own a hundred other units and, they just, they just want this building and believe that it's going to be more profitable in the future or, you know, or they just needed a place to put their money. Yeah, I read a story about um, uh, A-Rod not too long ago. He's got hundreds of thousands of any. He's got, you know how many, well, this, was, this goes back about six, eight months. You know how many rental units he had at that point? 3,500? 13,000. 13,000. 13, <laughs> you, you need A-Rod to come to Bucks County and buy some stuff. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's got that that kind of money, then he'd be looking at the big big apartment complexes. Yeah, I said the, the bigger you get, the more multifamily you get, the more you the more likelihood you are to run into a guy like a Rod, right? Absolutely. And you get killed. He'll he'll kill you on the price, right? Yeah, and there's even bidding wars for apartment complexes that are up for eight ten million dollars. They could still. I was looking at one. Um, I believe it was over in Willow Grove last year. I think it was up for $8 million and I, I remember talking to the agent about it, and he says, yeah, we already have multiple offers on it. I'm like, God, it's it's like, where's the price point here where you can get some breathing room? Well, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, for the small guy, like Kevin and myself, you know, I've got yep. two units. you got, what, two two units now, mm-hmm. right? Two units, same thing, right? You, you, can't, you can't get into that, that rare air. You can't do it. No, it's impossible. Cash. Yeah, it's, yeah, the cash thing is, is crazy. 
Has the overall demand for residential investment property subsided somewhat, or or is it remained the same, Matt? Working with my my group of investors and watching the market, it's the same. If anything, it might even be a little bit more aggressive hmm. on some property, nice properties. So has the seller's market made it tougher to find good quality deals? It has. I mean, there just is not, just like in regular residential housing, investment, good investment properties are harder to, to find. I ask myself from time to time, because I've been going out with Rosemary to look for um, places for her daughter in Tanagua. What is going to change this? I've been patiently waiting myself what just trying to gonna, figure it out. Yeah, what is going to change the seller's market? Matt, what's your take on that? I'm working with a client now. We just sold. He, he lived in a triplex in Elkins Park. Great building. We sold it in two days. He didn't want to be a landlord anymore. And, uh, and I'd been talking with him for about the past year. And he said, and I said to him, I go, well, aren't you concerned about the interest rates? You know, last year when we talked, I think they were around 5%. Now they're up at 7%. Mm-hmm. The mentality that I'm starting to hear more and more from, from buyers is, we'll use this as an opportunity, buy the house and just wait for the rates to come down and refinance. They're right. no longer getting scared by the rate, which is good. It's great that they're thinking that way. Because, yeah, there's going to come a point where rates should start to come down and then they'll refinance, but at least they can get into the house that they want. In a lot of cases, the rates will limit how many offers. I mean, I still see multiple offers, but maybe where I'm seeing five offers, where last year I might have had 10 or 12 offers on a place. It is shrinking down a little bit. It's, it's still there. All and right. they're, just, they're just thinking about refinancing. Just get in and refinance in two or three years. Okay. So what's the lending landscape doing to the residential investment market? Is it is it when Kevin bought and I bought a couple of years back, it was really tight. Did you buy cash? I bought cash. I just got I got fed up with the whole thing. I just plunked it all down. I, have, I still have the mortgage on one of the properties. Yeah. Maybe you bought that a little bit earlier when it was a little, little easier. 2012. So what's it like if you're a residential investor uh, to get uh, mortgage money today, Matt? Is it tough? From a paperwork perspective, it's, it hasn't changed much in a couple of years. Where it's changed is the scrutiny on investment buyers, huh. where they're, they're starting to really look at their reserves and making sure that they can afford this property what if there's a vacancy? What if, you know, all these scenarios that they play into it. So there's a lot of scrutiny on investment buyers coming in. And are they, are they getting deals done? You know, with, uh, if they need a mortgage, are they getting deals done? What, and what kind of, what kind of down money are the mortgage people looking for? So it's, it's interesting. It really depends on what you, you know, all these investors, they're all different. So, if you're somebody that's looking to be an owner occupier, that is your best case with financing because if let's just say okay you're 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 looking to get into the investment market, you buy a duplex, you live in one half of it, you have a tenant on the other half, and ideally that mortgage payment should be covered by that first apartment, so you should live rent free. But to buy that duplex, you can get in there for as low as 3% down on a conventional because you're an owner-occupier. And you'll also get the best residential rate that somebody buying a, you know, a home for themselves as a primary re- residence would get as well. 
if you go up to buying a multifamily strictly as an investor and you're not planning to occupy it, mm -hmm. then you got to come up with 25% down as a minimum. And then you could, um, your mortgage rate may be as high as, you know, three quarters to a point more than an investor living at their property. Because it's secondary and, property, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, and then they also could have points, you know, that could be involved in that purchase as well. And probably though, the next scenario, there's a third, if you're buying a single family home as an investor or a condo, and you're not planning to live there, you could get into that for as low as 15% down, which is attractive, but they're going to kill you on an interest rates and points. Uh-huh. That's interesting. And that'll vary with lenders, but that, you know, that is another option, but your absolute best option, uh, especially if you're starting out, you buy, you buy a duplex, you live on, you, you live in one half of it, you stay two years, rent it out, buy another, repeat the process and just, you know, that's how you can really build a portfolio of properties with getting the best advantages from a mortgage company. You know, I'll tell you, you just, you just struck a responsive chord there because uh, young families, rather than go participate in this shooting match for these single homes and, yep. and lose every single time, yep. probably, okay? That's not a bad option for young families to, to, to start building some wealth with real estate. You know, if, you, if you're okay with it, if you're okay with living side by side with somebody else, you would be in an apartment anyway, right? Correct? Right. Right? Why not do it? Makes sense. Because it's, it's, it sounds like a very, very favorable financial transaction, isn't it? It is. It really is the best way to build up your real estate portfolio for the least amount of cost. You know, to, to go out and say, oh, I'm going to buy a triplex as an investment property right out of the gate, and you've got to put 25% down on that property, plus you're going to have a little bit higher interest rate. You know, all that has to factor into that bottom line, and is it worth it? And plus, you got all the maintenance and all the stuff that goes along with the property. Whereas, if you live there, and you have somebody paying your living expenses and you're paying your mortgage, your principal, your interest, your taxes all from that first unit, which would, which is ideal. Then you could invest the money into making that duplex really nice, getting it cleaned up really nice, spend two years there, rent it, go and get the next. So to look at the debt to credit ratio that you're minimizing your spend your expenditures because they're receiving the money for that property. So basically what it is is, when you talk to homeowners with the younger guys today, what I try to do is say, listen, you're young, you should be doing this. Absolutely. You know, somebody yeah, that's yeah. 75 years old, you're gonna start doing that now and using that, the, you're never gonna see a result in that. You have the opportunity. When you said it, doing that by taking a duplex and then going to the next duplex, you have the time for the young people should be doing this. Yeah. So if you're looking mm -hmm. at it, because I, you and I are into the stocks. We've, we're stock averse, but I, I get it. We're, stock, we're both stock averse, we don't, we're not in the stock market. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you buying the duplex and uh, using that. But I, now what I also look at, here's a question that I'm going to ask you about for people that are buying homes that are their duplexes, they spend more money than they need to, because again, they're a little bit of a bidding war. Do you see these units to be in good shape or they're going to still have to dump another hundred grand to fix it up? Because now you got all these points you're going to be paying the 25% or even 20% or even less than that. That's a lot of money. Plus then you need to fix it up so you can rent it out. So each month that goes by, uh, it, it's less income for you. Are you seeing these properties being a fixer-upper or are they moving in ready to go with these new duplexes? Typically, the properties are in 
you know, they're in various conditions. And we got to evaluate that when we go in. And, and this really comes down to knowing your buyer, what their goals are. I mean, if they're like a contractor and they're looking to take on a project, then you go and look for the rough buildings because they can get the best deals on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in most cases, I find that the, the, the units are in, in good shape. They may need paint. They may need some cosmetic work, but not in really, really bad condition. I mean, like I say, most of my guys, they're looking for something that they can come in and just do cosmetic stuff to spruce it up, get it ready, minimal cost to do that, and then spin it around and be able to rent it out. Yeah, the problem I had when I started to look about a year ago for uh, what, what we rental properties, mm-hmm. it was just too much money. Mm-hmm. So what I looked at for me even doing the work, I bought the property, put the money into it. I, I got to look at my return on my investment at 52 Absolutely. years old. Absolutely. And it just wasn't worth it because some of these properties, I like going for the higher end ones. I always tell people, listen, if you, location, location, location. If you ever want commercial or residential real estate, if you're somewhere where it's not good for anybody where it, there's no highways, there's no trains, there's nothing in that area, that rent's not going to demand a lot of rent. So if you're going to get a good rent, you've got to buy something that's going to be a little more expensive. You've got to be in a popular spot. So, yeah, and if you... Question do that but it's still that house is not a fixer upper but pe- the problem was people were paying 100 150,000 over these dumps that are in great locations so i just didn't see the return on the investment but um you're seeing anything different now from a year ago is or it's still uh, crazy with people just still overspending because they want that property yeah it's it's incredible to see how much the prices have gone up uh it's, it's about 3 years ago i sold a duplex in philadelphia for $195,000 on an FHA, mm-hmm. which, was, uh, which was a coup. We got it for $195,000. Two years later, sold another duplex in Philadelphia. That was $240,000. Big difference. And both, big, big difference, both very similar. Uh, one be- two one-bedrooms stacked on top of each other, one full bath kitchen and a lounge area. Uh, two very similar buildings, but you know, big, big price jump. But in line with that, the rents jumped up quite a bit as well. So that's what justified that higher price. So the first building we bought, the rents at the time were like 900. And I remember talking with my buyer saying, well, do you think you could get it to a thousand for each unit? And we, we struggled with that. And he, he pulled the trigger on it and said, yeah, I think I can get it. Now I think he's renting them for like Eleven, twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, probably each. so. Yeah, right. That brings up an interesting question: um, Can investors in 2023, 2024 hope for the magnitude of appreciation that has occurred in uh, you know in many geographies all across the country and market segments over, say, the past couple of years, or should they be more focused on monthly income? I know when I bought, I had two different formulas. One was in a suburban area. Okay, in Doylestown, PA. Okay, there I knew I wasn't going. I didn't think I was going to get major appreciation. Now, as it turns out, with the whole way the whole market is, that's changed. The, the, the appreciation is up there. Okay, but I bought in Philadelphia because I thought I would get a lot of appreciation, and because of the tax abatement, ten-year tax abatement of which I had eight and a half years left. So, are people looking at the rents more today than getting huge appreciation? Because the huge appreciation period, we just went through it. Is it going to get? It, I can't imagine I mean, it getting. It's got to get better. It's got. It's got, you mean better drop back? It's going to get. My theory is going to go about ten percent. 
down. That's what I said from six months ago when everything was hot. Take that number. If it's 900,000, you got to a million, well, it's going to drop down. So what's your feeling, Matt? What's your feeling? Is it Are they looking for the, for the monthlies now or are they looking for appreciation or both? Um, I, again, I think this is like individual preference of each investors. Um, my investors are all about monthly. Um, they want to see a return. They want to make sure they can cover their costs and have a nice cushion over top of that. Um, but I know when you get into areas um, like Maniunk, for example, there's an area where buildings have seen a huge amount of appreciation and people will pay higher amounts for the building because it's more of a valuable uh, area and, you know, be less focused on the monthly. Uh, but for the most part, I think, you know, I would at least stress to buyers that you want to make sure that the numbers work for you, that you can cover your costs monthly. And then appreciation is just like icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, you know, in, whenever I bought a, and I've bought a number of investment properties over the years, it's not just the two I have now, it goes back a ways. I had one in New York, I had one in outside of Philly. Um, and I always got very introspective about how deeply I wanted to get involved in the maintenance and the management and all that stuff. And I don't really want to be that hands-on. I, I get involved when I need to, but I don't want to be that hands-on. I don't want to go out there and putty on the weekend. You know, I just don't want to do it. Uh, so for me, it's been the less, the better. And, uh, that's why I've gone the condo route. Uh, and that's why I have management companies to manage them for me. And they, they don't, it doesn't cost that much money to do it. It's all expense. Uh, so what are the benefits of say a couple or a family who wants to live in one unit and rent the second? What are the benefits of, are there, are there benefits the same across the board for somebody like me who just focuses on convos or, or, or do they vary the benefits? Well, I think it's a, it's a different, it's, it's uh it's a different uh, priority. So for you, it's about, you don't want the maintenance. You want them to, they go in, you don't want to get calls about the lawn. You don't want to get calls about the roof. You don't want to get calls about trash or, you know, those things. Right. And that's, what's important to you. Somebody going into a multifamily, like we were talking about with a duplex, if their living expenses are all getting paid by the first unit and they're essentially living for free and can reinvest their capital into improving the building, which, you know, long-term would improve the value and appreciation of that building. That's a different philosophy. Um, but that is a huge benefit to being an owner occupier of a multifamily. Um, the downside is you live with your tenants and that can, they can get comfortable with you to call you for every little problem that they have. Uh, which is a downside, but I think the upside outweighs the downside just with that financial saving and how you could reinvest in the building and increase its value. You know, I just, I don't want to mislead anybody. I still get the calls, you know, even though I have condos and I've got management companies in both places, I get the calls, but when I get the call, I pick up the phone and let my fingers do the walking. You know, I call, I'd call the management company and say, we've got a problem here. Somebody's got a problem with the dishwasher. It looks like we, we're going to have to get a new dishwasher. And then and they, they'll take it from there, you know. I just have a problem with the bathroom right now. And the management company was going to do it. And then I said to myself, well, 
you know, probably could, and I had, had my buddy John, who right. had him on the show, put a new water heater in, okay? So, but I still get the calls. I don't mind the calls. I really don't mind the calls because I like to keep in touch with my tenants. But I hand it off at that point. You know, it's like um, an option playing football. Yeah, well, know? my theory is that you can have that, being you as a, just a homeowner, get your contractor set up so you don't have to pay that expense to the management company. But it's depending on how, how many properties you have, of course, also. Right, if you just right. have a handful of properties, to me, it would be easier taking out me being a contractor. But if I know contractors that I trust, hey, go fix this in the area that you're right, at. Yeah, so see, you're in, a, you're in a different world than I am, though. Yeah, but you I still know, have to yeah, call yeah. my plumber if I need. Like, yeah. I, I have my hot water heater go last year. Yeah. It went. I just made a phone call. Yeah. And there's no management company for me because I know that uh, going into it. I can well, that's somebody. what I did, too. I decided to go because I knew John, you know, right. and that, that makes a difference. I knew John. John said, yeah, I'm, I'm free. Let's go put a new water heater in. I went down with him. So, so it... But it does take it does take a lot of the load off you when you have the management. It company. does, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, what's your best advice to someone looking to buy their first investment property in twenty twenty three, Matt? Um, don't get discouraged. Uh, there are there are still deals out there. Um, even surprises me sometimes when we go out looking for a house, and you, sometimes you think, "Oh my God, this is." going to be a feeding frenzy on a property and you're able to get it um you know be smart do your homework uh understand you know the area um and the numbers i mean don't 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 go into it uh with emotion i mean it really is you know it is it is down to the numbers profitability and and um and it really helps if you can do a lot of work yourself. I know you're talking about management company, but for somebody starting out, you know, if you could do a lot of the work yourself, you can bend that cost curve and be very profitable and successful investing. Mm-hmm. Especially if you, I mean, if you're like, if you if you had it all to do all over again, you know what you're doing, okay? You're a contractor, right? Correct. Uh, Kevin is, and uh, it would behoove you to do something like that. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I went into going to the properties that I did buy. It was a good buy. I knew I did. I could fix it up, but they were in a higher rent district, so I had to fix them up much higher than just a normal rental property. Right. But I knew that going into it because it it did well for me on some of my properties. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I went into it. But Matt, you talk about having an old theory. Here was my theory years ago when I was buying all the rental properties: is that I would buy them, didn't make much off of them. I mean, it was almost break even at some points, like my Philly property, Ron. You knew that one there, and it was just yeah. When the mortgages were paid off by the renters, it was a cash flow. That's my whole goal was at the end. So it wasn't making money during the process of having the rentals. It was the end goal. The end game for me was to have the mortgages paid off and just collect the money, then retire. So that, that was my... I'll just leave, I'll leave you with one more thought. One, one of the other reasons I have a, a management company on both my properties now, okay, is because the legality of... Dealing with renters today is much more complex than yes, it was it is. 10 years ago, okay? Yep. So you could you could think you're doing the right thing if you don't have somebody guiding you and step on a landmine that's going to result in a huge lawsuit. That's that's probably the biggest reason why I have one, Matt. And I, I just feel safer with it, you know? Yes. Yeah, and, and again, it comes down to philosophy. Um, you know, there's you know, certain amount of risk tolerance with different investors. 
some that'll be high risk. I mean, you take on a section eight tenant, um, there's all sorts of parameters there. You got to be aware of. Oh yeah. And, um, but you could still, you can make a lot of money with section eight. Um, and then there's, you know, and it just goes from there, you know, depending on what your risk tolerance is and, uh, where you want to be. Do you want to be in the city? Do you want to be in the suburbs? Um, all things to consider. And when I work with, you know, different investors, that's part of what I do is learn what it is that they're looking for and try to cater all the searches and to match that criteria as best I can and, uh, and pull something together. Yeah. They're going to bring their personalities to it. They're going to bring their, their, um, appetite for work to it, everything. They have I just to, roll the dice. I, th- I think the best thing to do is to know your, <laughs> if you get into this, you'd have to know yourself. It's like buying stocks too. If you, you have to know yourself and once you know yourself and you're really truthful with yourself, then you make the right Let's decisions. Let's also have a good realtor behind you to be able to Absolutely. guide you in the right direction. And we got, we got one on the phone here. Matt, this has been, this is, this is like uh, investment properties 105 here. This was really good. <laughs> good stuff, man. Good stuff. So thank you very, very much for being on. And, um, We'll have you back and we'll cover the subject again sometime. Sure. You know, I really appreciate being on and talking to you guys. And uh, I do have an upcoming six unit building in Pottstown that'll be coming on the market in February. So um, I'd love to talk to you guys again in the future. Okay. How do people get in touch with you, Matt? Uh, Best way to reach me is uh, they can call me 215-962-1274. They can text me to that number. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Any of those platforms, they can instant message me. Very great information. Appreciate it. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufacturing, stone and metal roofing products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship the Provia way that's this week's podcast your valuable home comes to you every week on the new pod city podcast network apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories if you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story email me at kevin at your that's kevin at your and don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 